also means you're going to be on the spot any moment in time. So you got to be ready. Jenna, you've got to be ready. I'm coming after Jenna today. Yeah, it's a good note. She's going to be paying attention. She's going to be good. All right. So we have title messages, Life in the Spirit. So it's not exactly super exciting sounding, but I promise you we'll get to some good stuff today. So let's open up in prayer. So God, we pray that you just speak to our hearts. Um, It's not even really a great request of you, Lord. You're already going to speak to our hearts. I pray that we're listening. Uh, I pray that we just be listening, Lord. And I pray that as he prayed, that just our ears would be attentive to you. That we'd just be hungry to hear from you. Um, That your voice would connect with our hearts, that it connect with my heart. Uh, That your word would just speak to us, Lord. Um, And I pray that digging into your word, Lord, and listening to your voice just certainly wouldn't stop here when we leave, Father, but it would just be our relationship that just continues uh, during the week, Lord. And so we just pray, Lord, that you just speak to our hearts, Lord, about the freedom that you have in mind for our life, Lord. We thank you that it's possible, Jesus, because of what you sacrificed and what you did. So we just say thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've been, uh, we've been going through... What book have we been studying through? Nice, see? Here we get to start off right away, interactive. We have been studying through what book? Oh, jeez. First Corinthians, yeah. Nice job. So, uh, just about 15 chapters of that. Um, and we left off on what chapter? Do you remember that? The person who hasn't been here for two weeks knows what's going on. So, we left off on chapter 11, okay? And so that means that we actually talked about how many chapters together. That'd be 10, good job. So, we talked about 10 chapters together. And there's chapters and verses in there, and then there was concepts. Yep. Uh, So, we kind of diverted for a little bit. Because we ran into summertime. Say summertime. summertime. Say hotness. hotness. Say sweaty. sweaty. Yeah. I tried to turn it like down back there too at the AC, but they have a block that I can't get back. So, but anyways, it got hot, summertime, sweaty. And what that means is we do um, our baptisms outside, Sunday fun day. Say Sunday fun day. Yeah, we did our Sunday fun day. And God really impressed it on my heart that we just needed to take a break from 1 Corinthians chapter... 11. Yeah! From 1 Corinthians chapter 11 for a little bit. Um, and I, I don't even really have it. I have kind of an idea why, but I, I can't really pin it down for you in one sentence. But the, over the, this, the sense that I got, um, that God, I think, impressed on my heart, was like, hey, we just have to talk about some... Some main and plain Christianity 101 type of stuff for a few weeks. So say main and plain. Main and plain. Main and plain. So we just had to talk about that stuff for a few weeks. This will be our last, our last of doing that. So when I say main and plain, um, 
I mean that we started off talking about what does it even mean to be a Christian, a Christ follower? Because there's a lot of ideas and things out there, but what, what does that even mean? So if a lot of people can maybe want to or, or do or not, but this term Christian is out there, so what exactly does that mean when God uses that term? Because I think the way he uses it is probably the most important. Um, and we can come up with a lot of good ideas in our heads, but again, right, we want to go back to the Bible and figure out, okay, what does that mean to be a Christ follower? So we did that for like a week. All of it's online too, in case you missed it. So what does it mean to be a Christ follower? Right, we talked about, you know, super, super quick snapshot is, it's not somebody that's mentally, favorably disposed towards thinking good of Jesus. That's not a Christ follower. Um, it's not somebody that generally, generally agrees with Christ, but really doesn't want to give up or follow him the whole way. That's not really a Christ follower. Um, it's not even somebody that would just believe that he exists, right? I mean, even the devil, Satan, exists that. So he's not a Christian, so in case you didn't know that. Right? He's not. So we talked a lot about that stuff. So that was one week. Then the next week we talk about, well, then what's the point of baptism? Because we don't need baptism. God's like really clear. We don't need baptism to be saved. We don't need baptism to go to heaven. We do need Jesus, that's for sure. And God did say, hey, listen, if you're following my son and you're choosing to put yourself in my family, which is what I want you to do, but it's your choice. But if you're choosing to do it, you should be baptized. So he like laid this framework. So then we talked about like what that meant. Um, and then we followed that up with this idea, this question of why would God expect us? And we talked about that for a little bit. Is this even fair? Say fair. Right? Is this even fair? So we say God and expectations. It's like, whoa, we better get that right. Because otherwise we're going to give people a heavy trip and we don't want to do that. So why would God expect us natural people? Say natural. We don't have any Jesuses sitting here. So we're all natural people. Why would he expect us to live supernaturally like Jesus? And we talked about, is that even fair? Is that even biblical? So we talked about that for a week. Um, and, and one thing we kind of closed that up with last time we were together was this idea that there is some fairness there because what God does is He says, hey, I'm calling you and expecting you to live out this particular way. And He says, I'll do all the heavy lifting for you. Just like Stay close to me. I'll do the heavy lifting. Trust me. I'll do the heavy lifting. And so we talked about this term the last time we met, because Nate was last time, week before that. It's taught this term grace. Say grace. 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 And we had an acronym for that. I don't know if anybody remembers. Anybody remember our acronym we had for that? Acronym means that each letter stands for a word in that. Yeah, you weren't here, so... Why didn't you listen online? What are you doing? <laughs> okay, so maybe this sounds familiar. I'll get you started. So the, the letter G stands for gods. That's a possessive, not like multiple gods, but possessive, comma, gods. Okay, we didn't get real far with that. So gods, now we have the R, 
because they're spelling grace, so the next is R. So, riches, that had to stir something up. Come on. Hey, Diane, air high five. Let's stop. God's riches at Christ's expense. Right? Grace. Goes out grace. Right? Then we're like, ah, that was wrong. That was wrong. Right? And that was such a big deal because that flows into the heart of that question of why would God ask us to do that? Why, that does, how, why would he lay such a heavy trip? Like, man, that sounds, this is impossible. We can never get there. It's like this proverbial carrot that's like always in front of us. And we can never get to it. That's just mean is what that is, if that's the case. But it's not the case because grace totally changes the game. And we get inherited to us God's riches, his mind, his will, same abilities that Jesus had, it gets inherited to us. We have to then claim it in faith. But it all came at the cost of Jesus Christ. So grace is this empowering agent to get us to the place where God wants us to go. And if he's not there, it's, <laughs> we're stuck. We're lost. So those are like kind of Christianity 101, main and plain type of things. And the last thing I wanted to follow up on was this idea of, all right, so we talked about what it meant to be a Christian, baptism. Okay, God's calling me to something pretty much impossible on my own, but he's going to help carry me get there, and he's never going to leave me nor forsake me. And he always is going to work for my good and my benefit the way he sees fit. Make sure you know that. The way he sees fit. So then, it's a reasonable question, I think, to say, hey, well, once I've submitted myself under his authority, and I've given my life over to him, now what's the deal? So we know one part of the deal is uh, the name of the Christ follower is stamped in heaven in the eternal book of life. Know that for sure. I was pretty clear on that one. The good news is it doesn't just stop there. And so that's like what we're going to talk about this morning. What do you mean it doesn't stop there? I'm glad that you asked. It doesn't stop there because a huge chunk of the good news is actually going to be lived out here on earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It wasn't just like a nice thing to say. Jesus actually meant it when he said that. He actually was like, your kingdom come. So your kingdom, that's, that's not here. It's not his kingdom. This world has chosen not to go the way he wants to go. It's chosen to go another way. And much of it is under the authority of the enemy, the devil. Good news is he's not the Trump. He doesn't have to find the say-so but he does hold a lot of power. Sometimes we sing in those songs, you know, like there's an army rising up. An army is needed. An army is needed. Does God need an army? No. <laughs> like you read the end of Revelation, it's not even a close battle. You're waiting for like this big heavy-duty fight. Everybody's like lining up and getting in their spots. And it's like, and he just takes them and throws them over here. <laughs> It was never close. 
But what God chooses to do is He chooses... He, it's amazing the way He feels about us. He chooses to have us play an integral part in His will and His kingdom coming upon this earth. That's pretty heavy duty. So it's not super unreasonable to think that God has very specific things that He is counting on us to be faithful in so His will can be carried out. I did say that. And I didn't say that because God's not able. He's able. And some things He just does whether we're going to be involved in the process or not. That's true. But He does a lot where He wants our partnership with Him and where He can use us in a powerful way. So, the kind of focus for today is, well, if somebody's following Him, they're trying to rely on grace, then what is God's priority? What is God's priority for us as followers of Him? What's top shelf priority? What does He have? I think that's a pretty good question. Some people might ask it another way. They might say, well, then what is God's will for my life? What does He have for me? I can tell you today, I have no idea what He has for me. I don't know. It's kind of a, kind of a dual part thing. It's multi-layered. What is God's will? Well, most people think of, well, what do I have to do today? What's the next job I have to take? Who's the next person I have to talk to? What is the next move I have to do? And... and there's some kind of truth to that. But today, what we'll talk about is we're going to talk about the first layer, overarching God's plan for every single Christian. God's plan for every Christian. And if we stay faithful in that, the good news is we will always say always. We will always say always. We will always know and have full confidence and peace. Say full confidence and peace. Wouldn't that be nice to have that pretty often? Full confidence and peace. We won't exactly know all the details, but we will have full confidence and peace on whatever we might choose or decide on whatever way we might go. Because we're doing the first part, the first layer of what he's asking us to do. So Galatians 5, let's take a look. And here's... um. Eric, don't put those pictures up there yet, but we'll get there in a minute. We're going to break it down just with pictures. Because most people remember pictures. They forget everything. They'll remember a couple of pictures. So Galatians chapter 5. You know what? I want to do it on this version here. All right, so in your bulletin there, what's our question we're going to answer this morning? Okay, in case you missed it. Here we go. What is God's priority? What is God's goal for the Christian's life? What is God's goal? What is His priority for the Christian's, the Christ followers' life? 
right? So, some suggestions, some ideas people would say, well, to forgive, um, to, um, you know, bring honor to God, uh, to follow Jesus, um, to love other people, to be patient, to be kind. Those are all pretty good. Right? Those are all true, right? Glorify the Father, right? All good. All good for sure. Um, But there's something at the center of all of that. Because some people's definition of glorifying the Father, loving Jesus, following Him, it's going to certainly vary no matter where you go. Be more Christ-like. That's a good one. I like Christ-likeness. That's a good phrase. It's not mine. I heard it from somebody else. But what is the goal? So that's what we're going to talk about. Galatians 5. Here's what's going on here in Galatians 5. There was a group of people. It's not one specific church. There's a group of people in an area called Galatia. Say Galatia. 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 And the person who wrote this is Paul, who also wrote the book that we're studying, that we took a break from. That book was... There we go. So Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. He also wrote this book with the G. Yeah, and it wasn't a church. It was a place, an area. Right. So he's writing to them, and they did a really good job as far as receiving the good news and the gospel, the word of God. They did a great job. They listened to it. They paid attention to it. And then they lived it out. They were doing great. But what had happened is some people, we don't have names, well, there's a couple of names, but they're pretty random and they're not mentioned often and they're really not that important. But the idea being is that some people came in, so if like some people came in here, CC Nagi, and just come in and they just start saying strange things. Now, some of us say strange things, you know, but I mean, like strange doctrine things. You need to do this. You should do that. Why would you ever say this? People get hung up on things, like weird things. Um, more modern day terms. It would be like groups that focus on maybe only one translation of the Bible, and that's, that's just it. So focus on that. Um, or other groups that say, well, Jesus, he was a good man, and he was a good prophet. He was... He made a difference. Definitely a historical figure. But he wasn't actually God in human form. Or things like if you die, you get spirit children on other planets. Ah, yeah, this is a real thing. and A lot of people follow this. Millions of people. I'm not, not going to label it. but So these are ideas and these are things... Yeah, when it's perverted. Like, his question was, isn't doctrine just a way to divide people up and create chaos and division? Um, No. So, it was intended to build the church up, to be able to correct all of us, to encourage all of us, to help our minds think in the right way, because the battleground is really the mind. So it was really intended for us to think the right way, to be encouraged, to be built up, to better understood exactly who we're following and what Christianity means. And then it just gets distorted in a way to where, oh, I think this, 
and so we're the super right group, and then they think that, you know, they're the super wrong group, and some division needs to happen. Not all, not all division is bad. I'm not going to go to church where they say, Jesus Christ is not truly the Son of God. I'd, just, I'd be divided. It wouldn't happen. I don't think it's my life's mission to then try and persuade them otherwise. But just because it's not my life's mission, it might be somebody else's. That's just certainly not a call of my life. But I'll tell you what, if they come knocking on my door, I will invite them in and I will talk to them. For sure. So some division is good. Like Jesus had a phrase, he said, listen, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword. But then he also says things like, love your neighbor and turn the other cheek and other things. So, the gospel is, is, is very complicated. It's multi-layered. And most Christians want to just reduce it down to just a simple thing. And it's not. It's not reductionistic. Say reductionistic. Yeah, add that one to your vocab. Reductionistic. It's not just, oh, it's just uh, because of that. And just because. Some things are, but many of it's pretty complicated. So doctrine was supposed to be, you know, supposed to be a good thing. supposed to be helpful. It's important to be at a good Bible-believing church whose doctrine is clearly articulated, um, where it's clearly communicated and hopefully helps to equip the church, go out live, become, you know, better Christ followers, um, show God's love, equips his people to better give an answer, you know, so doctrine should go that way, but it gets funky pretty quick. And that's what happened here. It got funky over here. And so the people that came in were introducing these ideas, and people were entertaining it. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. And then if you hear somebody that's kind of persuasive enough, or seems pretty intelligent, hmm, you know, you think about it. And that's why I always say, never just take my word for whatever I say up here. I hope you go back and you're reading like, Mm, I don't know. There was a group of people in the New Testament where Paul would go there and he shared a bunch of stuff and they're like, you know what? We like what you said. We're going to check everything out first make sure you're legit. They didn't quite say it that way. You won't find that verse. But he did praise them for it. He said, you guys are good. He said, you guys are really good. He said, he tested everything. He went back and searched it. And he said to the other churches, I wish you guys would be like that. Don't just take whatever somebody's saying because it sounds nice or maybe they're whatever kind of person. Go back and check it out. Make sure it lines up. And so they're having an issue in this church here. And their issue was this. Well, we're going to get to it. Here we go. Chapter 5, verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty. Say liberty. Liberty. By which Christ has made us free. Yell free. Free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Say bondage. So there's a lot of verbs going on here. Verbs are action words. Stand. Fast is more than an adjective. But stand. Fast, therefore, in the liberty which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled. Entangled. Right? Again, with the yoke of bondage. 
So we have this idea. We're going to throw up that picture now. All right, there's a yoke. There we go. Boom. So here's what happens. What happens? What happens is that, make sure you don't miss this part. And I was just talking with somebody just the other day about this. Uh, they weren't a Christian. We were somewhere. They brought up a super deep conversation like right away. And I was like, wow, okay. This is cool. Like, it doesn't normally go that way, but I'm, I'm game. This is good. Um, and we had a great conversation. And it all centered around this idea. The idea was freedom. Say freedom. freedom. Very much. Please don't miss it. Super important. Very much of God's heart, His character, His will. That question we're going back to. His will, His purpose for the Christian, for the Christ follower. It all centers and revolves around freedom. He wants his children and his people to function, to think, to live in freedom. I want you to know that. It's really important. This particular individual, their experience was they knew a religion that required many, many different ritualistic routines that needed to be done very often in a particular way. And if they weren't, there was somehow dysfunction with God. But if they were, there was harmony and peace with God. So it's like a really distorted type of freedom. It's like something they have to work really, really, really hard for, and then hopefully they get it, but as soon as they drop the ball, then they lost it. I just described millions of Christians' lives right there. Grace, like, shatters that. Completely shatters. This is so important. Because it's so important to know exactly who God is, who Jesus is, how he lived, what he thought, how he interacted. Because all of that focuses on a life of freedom. And for us as believers in the world that we live in, we, we should be like... Just think of toddlers. Says guy got toddlers. You just think of toddlers. Where I just think of Jaron and his cars and his things that he has. He's got a new toy. He's like obsessed. It's always in front of him. He won't leave the room. He like he leaves the room. He's like, <laughs> Johnson touching that. You know <laughs> what's going on? Jericho can look, but he can't touch. You know it's like he's super possessive. He gets all his little things. You know it's all around him. And anybody comes in that boundary, he's like. You know, I just, and we got to do the hitting talk and do all that, right? But the idea being, he has like his area and his stuff and nothing invades it. I'm telling you that us as Christians and Christ followers, we should be like that. Not hitting people. But we should be so like protective of the, say, freedom. Freedom and the grace and the liberty that we have within God. And as soon as anybody starts coming and being like, man, you got to do this, eh, you got to do that, you should really focus on this. You're going about it all wrong there. It's like 
that should like start to like get us up a little bit. And hopefully we're not just looking for a fight. Because that could be the case too. So this yoke business, the idea being is that God's goal for us is complete and total freedom, that we walk and we function and that we have freedom from other people. There's a big one. We have freedom from ourselves. I'm just good with who I am. God has made me. This is the way it is. I got my stuff and I got my stuff. It's about his story, not my story. Right? Just being okay. Just doing that. Freedom. So living in freedom from other people, living in freedom from myself, living in freedom from bitterness, resentment, and offense. What Paul's talking about here is he's talking about this yoke, this bondage of doctrine that has gotten perverted and distorted and it eventually leads to this big heavy wooden thing that gets thrown on you and it's very restrictive and very controlling and very heavy. That is not the gospel good news. Not at all. So as a particular individual, I just apologize. It's like, man, I'm really sorry that that is how God was presented to you. But I promise you that is not his heart. And so what happened is because that particular individual felt so controlled and so restricted and so heavy for so long, they just started to search out other ways, other methods, other things. It would have been really nice if somehow it would have diverted his attention more into Jesus, maybe in some way. or At least we had our conversation. That was good. We had a chance to talk for a while, so that was good. But this is really dangerous. That was never God's plan. His idea was to have freedom. Now, don't miss this. Within freedom, there are disciplines and there are boundaries. So grace is not this license to go nuts and God loves me and it's all good. And we talked about that. So there is discipline and there is boundaries. I think probably the greatest picture of that is when Jesus is in the garden. How many people know that if Jesus is upset and crying and doesn't want to do a particular thing, that's significant. So he was in the garden. He was crying. Super emotional moment. Just an anguishing moment. I guess so much so. It says in the Bible that he just sweated like drops of blood there. Because he knew it was about to happen. He knew it was going to go down. And he's like, no, you know, I don't know. I was good with this in the beginning, but now it's going to happen. I... You see that humanity side of him. But then you see the spirit come right back and he's like, no, Lord, whatever you want to do. So total freedom would be, ah, I'm, I'm just not going to do it. I'm not, we're not doing it right now. We'll figure out another way. I don't want to. I really don't feel like doing this, so I won't. So it's freedom with discipline and with boundaries. His freedom submitted to where God drew the line. 
Here, his freedom submitted to where God drew the lines. I was just reading a thing this week. Um, I, was, I was talking about freedom, and they were talking about two guys, um, and they came to the police officer, and they said, hey, um, you know, so-and-so hit me, and the other guys, the officer's like, well, you know, what are you doing? Why did you do that? Uh, and he goes, well, I live in a free country. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, yeah, you're right. You do live in a free country, but your freedom stops where his nose starts. <laughs> like, there's boundaries. So freedom, yes, but there are disciplines and boundaries within it that he has set, and this is just for free, he does it because he knows better than we do, and it's going to help us in the end. So Paul saying, hey, listen, what are you guys doing? Don't go back to this yoke of bondage. Don't go back to believing all these laws, rituals, and things will somehow make you pleasing to God and make you more acceptable. He goes, indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, that was the issue. Somebody was coming in and pushing circumcision. Here's a fun thing to talk about. So he was coming in and pushing circumcision because that was an Old Testament. That was like a big-time Old Testament uh, ritual and rite that somebody would do. That was like their way of saying, I follow Yahweh. I follow God. I'm getting circumcised. That's what I'm doing. And then what happened is Jesus came on the scene and he says, well, listen, I fulfill all of the law. And that circumcision, that cutting away of that skin and doing that, that was just symbolic for the way that when the Spirit comes into your life, it's actually going to cut away the things that are going to prevent you from being in contact with my Father. And some people didn't like that. They're like, well, no. Like, no. And they're like, yes. And they're like, no. They're into this thing. And so the groups of people go around and be like, well, if you were a true Jesus follower. True, true Jewish heritage and a true Jesus follower, you would definitely get circumcised. If you haven't, it's a big problem. So that's, that was what their issue was. So indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. So what's he saying? Paul's saying, hey, listen, if you choose to get circumcised... Don't just stop there. Make sure you do everything that the whole law says. Do it all. That make that mean, and there's crazy stuff in there. I'm, I'm like, how to deal with mold, how to wash your clothes, how to wear clothes on a particular day, how to prepare food. Like, it's crazy. Over 660 or so different things to try and keep in check all of the time. So Paul's saying, hey, listen, if you want to go back to that, Go ahead and do everything. There's some sarcasm involved there. On Paul's end. Holy sarcasm. Did you know there's a thing? There is. That's not an encouragement or a challenge to start doing it and try and find it. Verse 4. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you've fallen from grace. Say grace. grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness and faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision 
nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. That's what matters. So you have groups of people that say, well, you can only celebrate this holiday on this day. You can only meet at church on this day. You can only do this in this way. Paul here, and we've read before together in Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 10, the one we left off on, multiple times has said, listen, that stuff is just stuff. It doesn't save or condemn souls. If it's like some things people really want to do, then I guess let them really want to, if they really want to have church on Saturdays because they think that's the best way, then just let them do it. That's fine. Is it more right than the ones that meet on Sunday? No. Not an issue. The same thing like he would say about circumcision here. It, it doesn't matter. Jesus is what matters. Say, Jesus is what matters. There we go. We should probably just go home now. That's really all you need to know. Jesus is what matters. It's always the case. But our temptation is to continue to add a lot of different things to it. Because we think we have to. We're going to get more to that in a minute. Next picture. Look at that good looking group over there. Alright? Verse 7. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. We'll get to verse 9 in a minute. You ran well. So that's what he's saying. So remember the 5K, right? We did the 5K, about 100 people. I was very surprised by that. It was awesome. Um, that's the way everybody starts. I wanted to take pictures when everybody ended. Didn't quite get to it. I didn't quite get to it. But that's the way everybody starts. They start off... Super excited, putting the headphones in, you know, flying down there. I can tell you personally, that's why I've seen many people start their Christian faith as well. Oh, it's amazing. Hey, it's awesome. Jesus it. Jesus that. We got a new Bible. We got a new thing. We're doing this. We're doing that. And new Bibles and new things are cool and we should do it. But, I'm always like a little leery of it. Somebody gets so hot so fast. This thing is not 50 yards. This is a marathon. Keep your pace. Keep your pace. So he's like, man, you guys like, started off really well, but now you're falling off. When things start getting tough, right? People fall off. Verse 9, next picture. That's leaven right there. That's yeast. A little leaven. Leavens the whole lump. Meaning, man, you get a little bit of strangeness. This is where doctrine is important. You get a little bit of strange doctrine and strange thinking about God in there, it becomes very destructive. Very destructive. So say, I need to know my Bible. You need to know your Bible. You know who knows your Bible? The enemy knows your Bible. Like he knows it. He quoted it to Jesus to tempt Jesus himself. Can you imagine? That guy is like arrogant, right? He tempted Jesus with like God's word. Like, I get him. Don't think he's not like thinking like that about you and I. He's called the accuser for a reason. 
So he goes, I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. So Paul's like, listen, maybe he will get what's coming to him, what he should get right then and now. Maybe he won't. But I guarantee you he's going to have a time with God. How many people like revenge? Getting revenge. You like to get it. It feels good. You like to see it happen to people. Only a couple people. Wow, that's surprising. All right. Well, we have a couple liars. So, that can be a big time struggle, especially when you feel like, man, that's just so unfair, so unright. Especially in our world, and there's just some places of the world globally, there's just so much oppression, so much corruption, and like people suffer. It's not right. A country like Sierra Leone, map, their number one product is diamonds. It's what they do. Valuable commodity. It's one of the poorest nations in the entire world. Why? Well, corruption and oppression. Whoever has the biggest gun, they win. It's a bad scenario. It's a part of me that, like, yeah, I want to see them warlords get what they got coming. I I would like to see that. Paul's like, don't worry, they're not getting away. They're not getting away. (laughs) But this is kind of funny when he says this. Verse 11. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. (laughs) So here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, if they're into the circumcision thing, that's fine. Honestly, I wish they would just not cut that little skin off. I haven't cut the whole thing off. That's what he said. (laughs) Paul's like, he's hot on this. Because he knows, man, the good news of Jesus Christ is so freeing, so liberating. And it's so beautiful. And then, like, people want to throw stuff in there, and it can distort and jack it up really fast. And then people become enslaved and under bondage, like we saw before. It becomes bad news really quick. All right, we're not getting to the next part. All right. We're going to do a couple of pictures and then one closing thought. Uh, what is picture one illustrating? So picture one, what was that about? The yoke, definitely the yoke, right? So what was it illustrating about the yoke? Good stuff. So heaviness, burdens, right? Bondage. Can we get any more specific with that? Slavery. How are they getting into this slavery, this bondage, this heavy yoke? How was it invading this Galatian church? By doctrine, right? By doctrine that was rooted in the law. By doctrine that was rooted in, you have to do this, 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 and this. You have to use the right oil. You have to say the right words in your prayer. You have to talk to the right person. That's what was sneaking in. You have to be very careful with that stuff. But like I said, it's complicated because there are some things that God's very clear on. He says, hey, these are things you have to do. You've got to still baptize people. That's not like a, you know, communion. It's still a thing that we do, for sure. Just a couple things. So picture two. What's picture two illustrating? Picture two, right? The race, was that illustrating? Keep your pace. People start hot. 
Some people start hot. Some people never start at all, and that's sad. But some people start hot, and then phew, just die off along the way. <laughs> like in that 5K. They start off like that, and they're coming out of the last corner. <laughs> they're all wet, you know, just, it's a good picture of what happens. Been through it. Thirsty, yeah, that was a hot day, too. Uh, picture three. What was picture three illustrating? The yeast, the danger, right? The yeast, right? The danger where a little bit of distortion and dysfunction of who God is creeps in. A little bit of distortion and dysfunction creeps into our thinking and our believing. That's going to affect a lot of other areas. That's why we say, know your yeah, absolutely, right? Absolutely. So let's know our Bibles, and let's also be in communion and be in prayer with them. As we continue in relationship with God, not something that's just visited maybe once a week for five seconds or five minutes or whatever. As we're in communion with Him, He also speaks to us through that. Sometimes it gets audible with people. Sometimes that's still a small, quiet voice. I tried to do the whole thing, but it's already long. So, next time, we're going to do the end of Galatians 5. And I promise you, it won't be that long. We're going to talk about fruit. And that's, that's exciting, and that's fun to talk about. Because the fruit thing is very interesting. It's very interesting. Um, so, Michael, you want to close us in prayer?